0: Good day, nerds. This is Megan coming at you with another Cantina Conversation. <clears throat> Today we're talking to Christine Wells about her new book, One Woman's War. Um, it's available now. I really enjoyed this conversation. This book is all about, you know, set in the World War II era and lots of a secret agent activity going on and one woman's part of it. Um, and a lot of interesting stuff. And I enjoyed learning a lot. So... Um, without further ado, here is Christine Wells. So today we've got Christine Wells. We're talking about One Woman's War. That book is out now. Um, Christine, thank you so much for joining us. I just finished this book yesterday. was so very fresh in my brain and I, I really did enjoy it. So I'm excited to, you know, sit down, dig a little bit deeper today.
1: Thanks so much for having me, Megan.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So um, to get started, can you share like a a summary synopsis so that listeners can follow along with the conversation if they haven't read it yet?
1: Sure. Uh, One Woman's War is about the real Miss Moneypenny. So Patty Bennett, her real name's Victoire, but her nickname's Patty, joins the uh, naval intelligence during uh, World War II in Britain, and she ends up working as a secretary for Ian Fleming, who turned out to be the creator of the James Bond novels, and he used his experience in the naval intelligence during World War II to write those books. So Patty becomes not only his secretary but involved in an operation in an active sense, and that was Operation Mincemeat so you might have seen the movie or or heard about that, and that was quite an eccentric uh, deception by the British. They played a bit of a joke on the Nazis, but it actually had a huge impact on on the invasion of Southern
0: Europe. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I thought that was so fun. Now it made me. I've never been interested in the Bond um, books or films, but now I'll I'll want to check that out just because I like. I want to see how it was portrayed you know, and that art form. (laughs) It was, it was kind of fun. And I I really liked um, Patty's kind of like attitude towards it all. She made me laugh.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, uh, Ian Fleming was a bit of a ladies man. He he wasn't actually an active agent like James Bond was. He was more involved in a higher level operational work. So he would plan the operations and implement them and try to get approval for them from all the different committees because the british love their committees and they have to all (laughs) you know agree so he used to come up with lists and lists of crazy schemes uh there was a memo called the trout memorandum because they were doing a bit of fishing uh fishing for for gullible germans and uh, operation mincemeat was one of many a would be in the next desk to him and she'd hear him on the phone to this woman and that woman and uh oh darling let's have dinner tonight oh yes darling put the (laughs) phone down to one and and pick up the phone to another so she was in no danger of succumbing to him and she didn't sort of moon over him like the 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 fictional money penny in the movies but uh, she she really held into account and actually in the books there's a line and I probably won't quote it correctly but it was something like uh, Miss Moneypenny would have been alluring but for eyes that were direct and cool and quizzical. And I think that's more my Paddy, my Moneypenny. Uh, it's yeah. <laughs> not this Lois Maxwell mooning over James Bond so but you don't have to be a fan of the James Bond books to to read this because this is the real life and he didn't actually uh write about Operation Mincemeat in his books because it was still classified at Mm -hmm. that time and he actually fabricated a few things that he said were his inspiration because the the real things that were the inspiration are still under wraps, you know, they have been right up until late nineties, early two thousands. So we're just mm-hmm. hearing about all of these amazing things now.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Um it's so crazy how it's like, I don't know what 60 years later, then it's finally like okay to talk about. It. <laughs> yeah. It's like yeah. I guess that's just how how things go um so can we go into like your background and because you do have a few other published works under your belt and you do kind of gravitate towards um historical fiction and with uh, the roles that the women play in those uh plots and so kind of like going off your background and maybe what led you to uh tell this story
1: i have always been interested in history i probably got that from my dad who's a bit of a historian himself he, he studied at a university and used to hold me to high standards with my school projects <laughs> I did a we we did a three-month thing on uh, on some we could do any historical uh subject in year six and you know, he got me looking at all the different sources and I did it on World War Two, basically on Hitler so it's been World War 2 has been a, a real interest of mine for many years. and But I've always been more interested in women's roles and I was obsessed with Queen Elizabeth I for quite a long time because I loved reading about these strong women who were in a man's world and yet they still triumphed. And with fiction, I think the, the real attraction is that a lot of women's stories were not told or they weren't told in much detail in the non-fiction books. So we really need to imagine a lot of the things that they actually did. And that's where I think fiction is coming into its own because, for example, I wrote Sisters of the Resistance, that was my previous book, to this one. And Catherine Dior, uh, the sister of the famous fashion designer, was actually part of the French Resistance. Mm and not many people knew about that and she never spoke of it so uh, she lived a long life uh, I'm happy to say but there was not a lot of detail about what she had done how Mm. she'd done it Uh, you could really just get little snippets from here and there and I had to you know, bring into play my schoolgirl French to translate some of these mm. uh, sources. <laughs> but, um, yeah, that was interesting. But uh, writing fiction about her, you can make a little bit of it up and flesh it out a little, whereas maybe a nonfiction book would need to be very slight or it wouldn't even be published because there's not enough information So I think that's, I mean, female-centric women's historical fiction is uh, incredibly popular for that reason. I think we're bringing to the fore all of these women who were just footnotes in history. Mm. I mean, Patty didn't even have a a file. Uh, She wasn't appointed as an officer. Women just weren't in World War II, but a lot of them did the work of officers while getting the pay and status of secretaries. So uh, I think that's what really attracts me about this genre. But I have written in other periods as well, Um, 18th century England, uh, 19th century England. So I move around a bit, but uh, (laughs) World War II is, is what this one's about.
0: Yeah, and I think it's so fascinating cuz I just finished um I just finished another it was like a memoir but I just finished another book that it was um kind of like the influence of like the post-war Washington era and um this she's a writer author but her parents were, you know, one was UK born and used to be like a message decoder for MI5 and then her father was an American working for the British army and became a political journalist journalist and it was just kind of like fascinating how um, everyone's story for that time period is different, even though, even generational, as it trickles down, like the effects that that crazy time and like momentous time had on everyone, like from around the world. And I just, just World War Two in general, I've, I, I, it's crazy to me how there are so many stories to tell and and how different they are, and even not like just indirect too, like just from the generational like effects that it had on the families and um the cultures and things like that and it's just i I don't know i feel like there's always something new to talk about when it comes to that to that time period it was just so it's crazy it's fascinating to me i guess we could talk about in general for like the historical fiction um that you tend to write like with your research process so like what was the most fascinating or surprising thing you learned like did you did you kind of do you kind of approach the research In the same way, did you do anything different this time around? Um, You know, things like that.
1: Sure. Uh, Well, usually I I do what most people do and I read general information around the subject and then I mine footnotes and and look into more primary sources when I know what I'm looking for. Uh, This time with One Woman's War, I was able to gain access to one of my character, you know, so-called characters, but she was a real person, Friedel Gertner's MI5 file. So yeah. you can you can access that through the National Archives, and that was fascinating because yeah. it it not only has her reports in it, but it has other people's opinions on her and how useful she is and and you get this uh some some men were very dismissive of her she was a bit of a good time girl and she you know not people had different views of why she was doing what she was doing was it pure self-interest or could they could she be trusted so that was that was really fascinating research to go into i think it was about 112 pages and mm. and so when you have that primary source and the people in your book are actually you're writing the 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 accounts it's uh it's really valuable and uh, a, another thing that i stumbled on serendipitously this time was a friend of mine who also writes as A.M. Stewart, Alison Stewart, uh, came and said to me, oh, you're writing about Room 39. My uncle worked in Room 39 with Ian Fleming and I have a memoir his son wrote about him. So unfortunately his name was Penn Slade. He, He passed away during the war. Uh, but he did work with Ian Fleming, and some letters home mention Fleming. And it, of course, he can't say anything secret, so there's not <laughs> an awful lot of information. But it was just great uh, background detail to have. And it, he did this wonderful poem uh, about Room 39 and all the paper that the paperwork that keeps coming in because what happened what they did was analyse intelligence that came in to the Navy because the Navy was intercepting communications. They would be decoded at Bletchley Park and then sent back to Room 39 for analysis. Mm -hmm. So they had reports up to the eyeballs coming in all hours of the day and night and they had to go through them and work out what was important and significant and what to pass on to Fleming and the Admiral who was in charge, so uh, th- this poem was real gold because it took a, a very humorous view and, and it had little caricatures uh, he'd drawn as well. Oh. All the <laughs> so, yeah, that that had so much personality. And I, I think the thing too is this book isn't, uh, it, it's World War II and there's the Blitz and all of that, but it's not a doom and gloom book because mm. I was writing during, <laughs> one of the most trying times <laughs> during the pandemic. And yeah. <laughs> I wasn't even new to for doing So gloom. Uh, but the British, they were living like there was you no know, tomorrow. You know, in the evenings, they would be going out all night and a lot of the girls wouldn't even be working in London. They'd come to London uh, for the, the nightlife and then they took back to work the next morning. Mm-hmm. So uh, they, they really did have a good time, even in the midst of all of the death and destruction.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's like almost both extremes of it because, and that's like yeah. the sentiment that you kind of portray with your characters too. It's, they're all like, well, we could die tomorrow. So like, screw it. Let's drink up, let's party, let's, <laughs> you know, and that's, I, you know. It makes sense, it's like, yeah, okay, <laughs> you know why not? good point <laughs> um was this experience writing um or like releasing this book? was it different than your previous work? like any big lessons learned? I know you mentioned that you were writing it during the pandemic, and I know that's business as not usual, so um how you know how did that experience uh releasing writing and releasing this book go for you like differently than um what you were what you had been used to?
1: In a way, I hate to say it, but it was a little bit easier to write when there was nothing else to do and I found I was particularly productive. I've got two sons who are a little bit older so they don't need uh, supervision to do their yeah. <laughs> school work and and when we had lockdown and they were home I just found it so much easier to knuckle down and do my own work while they were working too. So uh, I have to say that like many writers I found it almost more beneficial but there comes a, there comes a time even for an introvert where it's a little bit too much and yeah. you're dying to get out of the place. So uh, but for research purposes, I mean ordinarily I would love to go uh, to the places I'm writing about which I mm. could not do to leave Australia. Where I live, so uh, that was hard. And there were there was one particular archive that I just simply couldn't get access to because it, Britain was far worse off than we were, and they were yeah. closed. So <laughs> you, you you know it was a Churchill archive, and it was uh, the letters and scrapbooks of of the husband of Patty, Julian Ridsdale. Uh-huh. So. While it wasn't vital because he wasn't a, you know, really principal character, it would have been lovely to go and see and go through all of that. So that's really what I missed out on with the research. But having said that, I mean, historical fiction writers, you do have to be quite resourceful because even (laughs) if you go and visit London, it's not the London of... the 1940s because (laughs) that was all destroyed or mostly Mm -hmm. destroyed so you still need to go back and reconstruct the places you're writing about in view of pre-blitz um yeah Mm
0: -hmm. yeah that's a good point where it's like you want to it's like placing yourself physically but it's still you still have to use a lot of your imagination. That's a good point. Yes. Yeah. Where it's, yeah. it's still beneficial, but you're still, you still have to be creative. You still have to yeah. think about yeah. it or less you dig up some um, like photographs or something, some sort of imagery, like record of, mm. of that, you know, but even then it's like, where do you even like, where do you even start? How do you even organize that? You know, <laughs> cause it's, it's just, I imagine it's um, you know, unless you, are you from are you from britain or do you do you grew up in australia
1: australia yes. yeah
0: okay okay no I, the accents are very similar at least to you know <laughs> silly american like me so I, oh. <laughs> like trying to d- differentiate between the two um no yeah i i have you been able to like go visit since everything's been a little bit safer
1: uh, i haven't yet but i'm hoping to for the next book that i've i've researched yes we we just had you know, year twelve and all of that sort of thing happening for my children, so it was just mm. not the right time to. Oh right, to right. Travel recently, but uh, but yeah. yes, I will be going and I'm hoping I've just put in a proposal and I'm hoping I get it because it's set in Paris. <laughs> <So>
0: I... <laughs> that'll be nice. <laughs> yeah, it was like an excuse, like to go there. <laughs> like I'm writing yes. a book. Let me go. <laughs> um that'll be you know That's that'll be fun <laughs> um, yeah no I'm I'm rooting for you I'm rooting for for you that it'll be that it'll, you'll, you'll be good to go how <laughs> uh, <Thank you>. yeah <laughs> um so this is not just like about Patty this is a lot about Friedel too and um a lot of the story is told from her point of view so like am I pronouncing that name correctly Friedel right okay (laughs) um absolutely yeah so what was it like um switching between their points of view um and why did you like why why did you choose to incorporate fetal Friedel's point of view so much even though you know the title of the book is is one one woman's war when there's (gasps) like two are very prominent um in this book and and like why not more points of view? You know, so how, so how was it like? You know, switching back and forth, and then why did you make make those kind of choices?
1: Well, the problem with Operation Mincemeat uh, that the movie makers have found as well is that once, uh, I should explain what Operation Inspeeds is first. Yeah. Before I it. <laughs> so uh, what happened, what, what the British did was they, they decided to float a corpse dressed as a royal marine off the coast of Spain and he would have papers on him to suggest that the invasion by the Allies was going to come via Greece rather than Sicily. Sicily was the obvious choice. Anyone but an idiot would know that it was Sicily. So they were trying to misdirect the Germans and persuade them to, to move a lot of their fortifications and defences to Greece rather than Sicily because Sicily was the invasion point. So what, why Spain was because uh, the Spanish were hand in glove with the Germans. They were supposedly neutral, but the Germans had helped them out during the Spanish Civil War, they'd been testing all of their horrible firebombs and things like that on the poor Spanish populace. So uh, Franco was very keen to continue to curry favour with the Nazis. So Nazi spies were everywhere in Spain and they knew of a particular one who was very good in the area that they they used for this dead body. So what they thought would happen was that the Spanish authorities would do the autopsy, get hold of all of this sensitive information and pass it on to the Germans. And that is exactly what happened. And then to make the Germans uh, really buy this story, they had to create an entire legend for this fictitious uh, Royal Marine So what Paddy had to do was to pretend to be uh, the girlfriend of this Royal Marine and write love letters and and do all of these things that would be found on his body. Uh, And, you know, they went to extraordinary lengths to make him a real person. Someone wore the uniform around so that it wouldn't look new, all of this sort of thing. So... But the problem was from a novelist's point of view or a movie maker's point of view is that you're in the head of Pat say, and she's in London. <laughs> Once they send off the dead body, there's no conflict. <laughs> there's nobody <laughs> in London preventing them from achieving their goal. They have to wait and he- wait to hear what's happened over in Spain and Germany. So, what I did and what the filmmakers did, and there were two movies and everybody did it. So, I sort of felt vindicated. I saw the movie after <laughs> I'd written the book, was to create a, an antagonist. So, I don't see Friedel as really a heroine of this story. I see her as an antagonist to Patty. And she is a double agent. We're not sure which way she's going to go. Uh, she's quite self centred in many Mm. ways and Mm. one of the reasons she wants to work for the british is that she doesn't want to be sent back to austria uh where she's from and she doesn't want to be interned so this is her solution she goes to work for the british intelligence and her her brother-in-law just happened to be the brother of the head of the secret service so (laughs) she had an in there uh, but she was on the ground in London and creating a bit of trouble for Patty <laughs> and, and her cohort. So these things happen. <laughs> <We> had a, <laughs> uh, I had a title, and it it was used by another author. <laughs>
0: oh, <okay. laughs> so so
1: with so with very little time to go, we came up with One Woman's War, and it and it really is Patty's story. I yeah. I think it's still her story.
0: It is. Yeah, I think it was just. It was funny, just because at the beginning, like I, I, like I said earlier, I wasn't really familiar with who Miss Money Penny was, and so when I was progressing through the story, then I was, I kind of like understood it. I was able to like kind of recalibrate my brain to understand it that way. But for for a while, I was like, well, "Why? Well, who's this Friedel person? Like, what is she?" <laughs> and then it becomes obvious, like she's definitely she makes the story more interesting to have to have her as a character to have her point of view included and you know the reader it gives the reader more more to like follow to follow along in a good way like to connect the dots there's more dots to connect than and there's more um you know you have to kind of like follow along and see how the the two storylines how they eventually like emerge and it's i don't know i even though it's like like you said, it's not doom and gloom. I thought it was funny. Like when, <laughs> as towards the end of the the novel, I was just, I was just like, oh okay, what's gonna, you know, because we're gonna try and be spoiler free, but I don't. It's not a spoiler to say that they have their crop their paths eventually cross, right? That's, oh, um, that's not a yeah.
1: spoiler. I, yeah. I mean, I hope <laughs> I hope to keep the reader interested until the paths do cross because uh, I couldn't. I just wanted to put in what Friedel actually did. In the war, because I thought that was really fascinating, and the timelines—you know—they real life it never matches up the way you want to. So yeah. <laughs> you spend a bit of time with them both before they get to Operation Mincemeat. But uh, I, I yeah. mean, hopefully, it's it's interesting. It was certainly fascinating to me. And, and Patty, one of the things about writing Patty, I love her. She's, she said, I'm half Irish, half Yorkshire. And so the battle is terrific because, you know, the the stereotypical Irish person has a hot temper and the stereotypical (laughs) Yorkshire person is a very stolid and hardworking and, and so she was always at war with herself, but but, but she was so competent and so intelligent and she, she had her heart in the right place, whereas yeah. Friedel, you know, she was quite fun to write because she was, uh, <laughs> she, she actually, there's a, a, I don't think this is a spoiler, there's a part in the book she always dressed very provocatively, even though she was a socialite and she had access to the highest people in the nation with all of the uh, spying activities she was doing she was invited everywhere but she'd walk home alone at night and, and she was rounded up yeah. with prostitutes <laughs> on more than one occasion because <laughs> the police used to come around and clap them all up in the paddy van and take them to jail until the next morning old yes. <laughs> Friedel was was in there too <laughs>
0: Yeah. And I its like, how do you explain that away? Cause I know in in all (laughs) honesty, she is not one of, she's not doing that, (laughs) but she's certainly, she was just stopping by to chat dressed like very much like them <laughs> yeah, yeah and of and, course and the and police the- are like yeah okay whatever sweetheart okay come on don't give us any fuss like let's go
1: yeah it <laughs> tomorrow morning to the magistrate we don't we're not interested
0: <laughs> yeah <laughs> that's so funny yeah and I I did like you know even though Friedel was kind of like a little morally ambiguous or, you know, you never know. Cause yeah, throughout the story, the reader doesn't know which, what choice she's going to make at the end of the day. And, um, you know, cause like you said, she's very much looking out for herself, understandably. Um, and it's, it was just kind of interesting. I, I, I liked her even. So even if, even though I didn't know which way she was going to go, she was going to betray everyone or you know do the right thing or whatever I still I still liked it I still enjoyed her Um, as a character I thought she was really fun (laughs) and I could see you had you had fun developing her um yeah I liked her too (laughs) (laughs) um so what okay this is like kind of a two-part question so like what were the most challenging parts to write and then like we kind of we kind of went off on this, but I don't know if there's another one. Like, what were the like most enjoyable parts to write?
1: Uh, well, I had a lot of fun writing about real people, so I decided that Friedel need, needed uh, a bit of a, a friend, a confidant. So I made that Brian Howard, who was one of the bright young things of the era, and uh, he he was quite a cutting sort of person. (laughs) He was actually the model for one of the main characters in Brideshead Revisited that Evelyn Waugh wrote. Uh, And uh, I just loved him. So I thought he might, he and Friedel were a little bit outcast in a way, so I thought they might be a good pairing. And then I had lots of fun with all of their crowd because uh, there were all sorts of stories about Dylan Thomas that, you know, the girls used to cut, draw seams down the back of their legs for to pretend they had stockings on and and uh, one did it with gravy mix. <laughs> and so Dylan Thomas is there licking the gravy mix yeah. of the girl's <laughs> leg in the middle of. A nightclub and stuff like that so that was yeah very fun. Uh, challenging I think I think the big challenge was for me delving into the private life of of women who actually existed and have family still living uh, mm. not alive anymore but uh, I always tread very carefully with that because I do think you know that's that's a bit of a gray area so I I do hope that my domestic the the scenes between Patty and her husband I hope they're not too too sort of prying but you you do have a bit bit about their personal life in there
0: yeah yeah because you know I think you did When I read it like it was like the the background research at the end of the book where you were you even apologize you're like I'm sorry for (laughs) creating some marital issues between them, <laughs> i was like oh because like, i did like julian a lot and i felt a little bad for him at the same time you just want to be like dude just like chill out it's okay like, yeah. she, even though understandably he's like he doesn't know what's going on he's just like my new bride she's not wearing her wedding rings she's not you know like
1: Yes. So what are these
0: like what a you know it's it's like poor guy but the, yeah it's like it's easy for for me as a reader to be like dude it's okay like just relax <laughs> <laughs> yeah. i love i love okay. that you you care about your character so much that you were like yeah my my apologies i you know that i caused some <laughs> issues between them <laughs>
1: Yeah, there are challenges to writing about real people, but uh, my agent always says, you can't defame the dead, make it up. <laughs> <laughs> I, just, I, I don't quite go to that extent, but I, I have become a little bit more comfortable fictionalising things. Yeah. Uh, just because the readers don't know that that is what really happened. So they're after a good story. And if, if you stick so closely to the truth that, you don't have a coherent narrative because events don't really happen in a coherent way in real life. I think you're not you're not conveying the essence of what happened, which is really what the readers want.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And you know, people, yeah, people definitely appreciate authenticity. And um but yeah, it's it's a it's a tricky line to to teeter um because you don't want to create drama just for the sake of creating drama and you know, you don't want to like exploit anything that might've any unfortunate like situations that might've been true, you know? So I, you know, I totally, I get that, but I, like I said, I I like the choices you made and I liked, you know, the characters that I liked because, the- <laughs> you know, poor, poor Julian, but, and I love how, you know, they were just like, so smitten like immediately or or but that's how it was at the time right where they just you know tomorrow may never come so there was not a whole lot of time for courting and you know long engagements it was you know Uh, a lot of very very quick
1: yeah I mean uh, I look back even to my mother who was engaged at 21 and I'm And my parents are still together and very happy. And you just want to, how do you do that? (laughs) Yeah.
0: Yeah. I think, uh, no, it's fine. I think um, I read like some, like, I think it was called like Modern Love by Aziz Ansari, where he did, and not just, not his show, but he wrote a, a book about like, just basically the history of like, dating. And one thing that he, that he learned that he explained was that. Back then, it was like, you know, people were just used to arrange like, oh, you're like so-and-so's family knows another family and their their children are like of age and and might be a good match. They were just like their their parents match them, their families match them. And that was it. Whereas now there's like, there's just so many, it's just so different because there's so many options and there's so much freedom and there's not like the... There's just more openness to not um to not rushing to settle down and you know have babies and things like that it's It's more people are taking their time, so to speak, with the exception of people who still like love at first sight or just click or 'cause I think my parents were like they're really similar I mean. But I mean, my mom, she, she was married and divorced before she met my dad and she's like seven years older, but theirs was like kind of quick too. They moved in like three months after meeting each other, they moved in together. And I guess my dad's mom was like, okay, well, if you're going to make that choice, it's an adult choice. And you live with adult consequences if it doesn't work out. So it was like, I, I, you know, I get, they're just very, you know, and that also might be like, just my grandma's personality and how like she raised the kids and then with my mom she was probably like because she had been in another marriage that didn't turn out well that probably influenced her um you know like how that ended up in her approach to the to meeting my dad but i just you know and then they my dad had a fake id he wasn't even supposed to be in the bar where they met and so it was like (laughs) who you know how many stories are like that where people are still kind of it's just, you know, I guess it's just a little fascinating where um, the times like the current events has such like an influence on how people meet and continue their relationships, just kind of follow up on that and carry on. And I guess I'm, at the end of the day, I guess I'm grateful because otherwise I wouldn't be here. But <laughs> it's like, <laughs> you know, it's just it's just kind of funny because that's I think. Yeah, I just think that's that's kind of common or, you know, I guess it de- it depends. But. Who would have thought? Um, I like how you mentioned Brian Howard. I did like Brian. I just like, he was a little, I don't know. Sometimes I was like, I was, you know, I kind of like my jaw dropped a little bit. Some of the things he was saying. Like,
1: <laughs> <laughs> Yes, most of them he actually did say in real life, too. Oh, so. <laughs> gosh.
0: What well, was it like? He was wagging his finger at the, the British in the club, like talking about, um, was it Normandy, oh, I think? And I was like, dude, you what? Yes. Are you? <laughs> Yes, <laughs> he did that. He uh, was like he wasn't beaten up. Yeah, he was a, a
1: real sparer. Yeah. Oh my yeah. gosh, I was he like, was like going oh gun god, gonna.
0: Working. Yeah, <laughs> right. Like I was like, oh my god, they're gonna take him outside. Like <laughs> <laughs> I think
1: they were too shocked. They yeah. Yes. What on
0: earth? <laughs> um, Yeah, exactly. Like he's got he's got some balls on him, or he maybe he's just like screw it, you know. <laughs> or you just did or you know that out that liquid confidence you know <laughs> so just a few more questions before we wrap up all right what advice would you give to patty what advice would you give to friedel
1: oh uh what advice would i give to patty oh I think probably do you really need to keep everything secret from your husband because <laughs> she was so they were so keen on secrecy you know some husbands and wives didn't even know each other had worked at Bletchley Park until they were in their 80s uh, yeah. <laughs> and, and, and so Patty takes the the official secrets act to extremes, and she doesn't yeah. tell her husband what she's up to, and that creates all sorts of strife, as we alluded to before. So I would say that, but I mean, Patty probably doesn't need my advice. She's extremely competent. Yeah. Um, with, with Friedel, I would say, Oh, think about other people once in a while. <laughs> <laughs> that, 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 uh, that spy is no good for you would be another one because she hooks up with. Uh, a real James Bond kind of character. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh she she really uh, falls in love with him or at least she thinks she is and he of course is the Playboy of the Western world. So uh he he doesn't he's never, never faithful to her. So yeah. But hopefully she maybe she finds her happy ever after. Yeah. Afterwards. <laughs> we'll see. <laughs>
0: like you know you hope she settles down with a nice man and just, mm. <laughs> in turn you know help, helps uh steer her the right direction you know what do you hope readers get out of this story
1: well i, I hope that they have a fun time and that they learn a bit about what happened in world war Two and and how everything worked i, I think uh that's always what I hope for from historical fiction is to learn something. And I think there's plenty there, there to learn, but it's also, uh, hopefully it's a, a fun, interesting and fast paced story.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I do like the, pa- the pacing was really like well done because I don't know. It's like, it's different from your typical action suite sequence. You know, there's, there's a lot going on and you got to be careful with that because you're switching with like between points, two points of view and all like one of the characters, one of those points of view is like, you know, back and forth a little bit. And in, in Europe, like one, one, one part she's in Portugal, another part she's in what London or around there. And so um it, you know, it is tricky to kind of keep that going on, but it's, it's, I I liked the pacing. I think it was, you know, it was done really well. Cause sometimes it can be tricky to like follow along, but, um, or, or, you know, you got, it's a delicate balance because you want to make sure the reader stays engaged. And, um, I did, you know, that was one thing I noticed because sometimes pacing is just can be really tricky in general, but, um, and it, it was done really well. So, you know, with all, with all the liberties you, you took with it and the, you know, the challenge that the challenges that you took with it, um, had on, I, you know, I really enjoyed everything, uh, that you did with it. Oh, thanks very um, much. That's great. Yeah, to hear. absolutely. So are, do you, you kind of mentioned that you have, you're working on, or you just wrote a proposal for another book. Um, like, are there projects that you can, that you could talk to, that you could talk about?
1: Yes. I've just handed in my book for 2023. Uh, and that is, a little bit of eccentric. I seem to be gravitating towards these eccentric stories now, but it's about a fictional protagonist this time. Uh, the a girl who grows up in Shepherd's Hotel in Cairo, uh, in Egypt. It was this luxury hotel run by. Well, it was basically all the English and Europeans would stay there, and there was a big. It was nineteen twenties, nineteen thirties. It was a big push for the um, the archaeology and the, the discovery of Tutankhamun's tomb. So this was the fashionable place to winter for for the elite uh, in those times. And this girl grows up in this hotel, living in the hotel, and she comes to believe that she's the illegitimate daughter of Edward VIII, who ends up ab- abdicating the throne and marrying Wallis Simpson, uh, becomes the Duke of Windsor, and this French courtesan who was infamous because she uh, went later, after she'd had the affair with Edward VIII, she went on to marry another man and she shot him dead in the Savoy Hotel in London. So she thinks that my character thinks she's the daughter of these two and she goes on a quest to find find out the truth. Mm
0: oh fun stuff that sounds very intriguing oh that's cool. just a bit
1: bonkers really but <laughs> <laughs> seems
0: to be hey, you gotta, yeah you got to keep pushing it right you got to you got to <laughs> keep challenging yourself and trying new things <laughs> yes yeah,
1: so th- this isn't really a war story although it is uh it does encompass the war years it's quite a quite a long timeline.
0: That's awesome. Um, well, I, I'll definitely look forward to it. Real quick. Do you have like a, your website and social that you want to push out? Sure.
1: Christine-wells.com. And you can find me on Instagram and Facebook. Uh just search Christine Wells and come up.
0: Perfect. Perfect. Okay. So we've got Christine Wells, One Woman's War. It's out now. Thank you so much. This was such a good conversation. I I love learning, just digging your brain about how all of this came together because it was a pleasant surprise for me. So I enjoyed it really well.
1: Oh, thanks very much, Megan. And thanks so much for having me.
0: And there you go. That was Christine Wells. One Woman's War is available now. Check out the show notes to see links for her website and social and where you can purchase the book. Um, Rate, review, subscribe, as always. And if you want to keep up to date on author interviews and book reviews, all that good stuff, follow the Nerd Cantina and Cantina Book Club um, on Instagram, Twitter. And thank you so much for listening.